Good morning, Northwoods family. We're so glad that you've joined us for church at home. Now, we're going to worship, we're going to dive into the Word of God, all that good stuff. But before we get there, few things I want to remind you of. First is, if you're brand new with us today, we love that you're here. But we want you to get connected. We want you to get plugged in, not just kind of watch a message and, and then bounce out. So, if you're brand new, pull out your phone, text NEW, N-E-W, to that number on the screen, and that'll get you connected with one of our pastors so that they can help get you connected into this spiritual family at Northwoods, okay? Now, the rest of you, you know the drill. Pull out the connection card uh, there in the Northwoods app. Let us know that you're here with us. And then if you've got anything today that you have questions about or you want more info about, from the announcements, you can check that box right there in the connection card. And lastly, I encourage you, jump in the chat, okay? If you wanna let us know where you're joining us from, or if you need prayer for anything, let us know. Anything big or small, we've got an online prayer team ready to pray with you and for you, okay? Now, today, like I said, it's church at home, which means we're actually here in this beautiful home, and I got a lot to share with you out of Isaiah 40 in the Word. But before we do that, we're going to worship. So let's enter into the presence of the Lord.
Oh, we thank you, Lord. You are so faithful. You are steadfast and true. Your mercies are new every day. We can build our house on you, our rock, our firm foundation. We love you, Lord. We bless your holy name. And we thank you for your presence with us every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us for worship. We are so glad that you're here today. At Northwoods, we are all about helping you get connected into community. So here are a few ways you can do that. If you need prayer today, click the Request Prayer button. If you'd like to give any year-end gifts, make sure they are postmarked by December 31st. Remember, our 21 days of fasting and prayer begins January 8th. For more information, go to northwoods.church news. Thank you again for your generous giving. If you'd like to give today, you can do so online or by text. If you're new here, we want to invite you to text the word NEW to 833-550-1550 and someone at our church will reach out to connect with you. And if you call Northwoods your home, we want to invite you to pull out the connection card and fill that out. If you're thinking about how to take your spiritual life, your spiritual growth to the next level in 2024, I want to remind you the 21-day fast that we do almost every year is kicking off again beginning of January. And so I want to encourage you to be thinking about in the week ahead how God might be calling you to engage in this year's fast. So spend some time in prayer. Many people fast from food for a certain amount of time. Others will fast from things like social media or TV or maybe just sweets or sugar, whatever that might be. The, the main thing is to keep it meaningful, make it meaningful between you and God. But I really want to encourage you to spend some time in prayer and be asking God how he might be calling you to engage in this year's fast. And as you do, as you make that commitment with the Lord, I'm telling you, your spiritual life, your spiritual growth will go to another level as you spend intentional time seeking him daily during the 21-day fast. So I hope you'll join us. We're so glad you've joined us. Thank you for being here today. Well, hello, church family. Welcome to Church at Home 2023. I'm so glad that you've joined us uh, wherever you're joining us from. Just glad that you're here. And I am honored because I get a little bit of time with you today to just share from the scriptures and to share from my heart with you. Now, when I was preparing for today, I felt led to go to Isaiah chapter 40. So if you've got maybe a hard copy Bible, you got the Bible on your phone, I want you to go ahead and turn there right now, Isaiah chapter 40. And I'm titling this message today, A Call to Prepare the Way of the Lord. A Call to Prepare the Way of the Lord. Now, before we look at Isaiah 40, I want you to think about this idea of preparation, okay? Maybe if you've ever had guests over to your house, you think, I gotta prepare, I gotta make food so I can feed them, I gotta clean up so the place looks okay. You know you've gotta prepare. Or think about a newly engaged couple. They have a lot of preparation to do to get ready for the wedding. Gotta send out invites, gotta book a venue, get you know all the flow of the ceremony in order. They got a lot of preparation to do. 
Same thing with a student that's studying for a test. If you don't prepare, <laughs> you may not pass the test. You got to prepare by studying, right? Or think about if the president is going to show up to a certain city or town. They got to prepare that place. They're going to make sure it's in order, but they're going to make sure it's safe and secure before he arrives. In each of those situations, preparation is absolutely necessary. Like it has to happen. It's not optional. It's vital. Okay. Like I said about the student studying for a test, if he doesn't study, you might fail a test. If the engaged couple doesn't prepare for the wedding day, they may have nobody show up. They may not even have a venue to go to for their wedding, right? Think about guests showing up to your house. If you haven't made food, you might have nothing to feed them. Or with the president, he's probably not going to show up if the area is not safe and secure and in order. In each situation, preparation is a absolute necessity. And it is the same with Isaiah 40. So let's look at Isaiah 40 together. And we're going to start in verse 3, Isaiah 40, verse 3. It says this, a voice cries. What is the voice crying? In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now in that scripture, it's nothing less than a call to spiritual preparation. We're not talking about a physical highway. We're talking about a spiritual one. We're talking about the way being prepared so that the Lord can come in his glory. It's a picture of spiritual preparation. Now, as with so much of the prophets, this scripture kind of has multiple layers of application. I've never forgotten uh, a picture that my dad used to talk to me about how the prophets, especially the Old Testament prophets, can have multiple layers. So I think we have this picture of mountains. And if you look at that picture right now, you see there's one mountain really close. There's another mountain behind it. There's one behind it. There's one farther in the background. That's a perfect picture to describe how sometimes a scripture like this can have multiple meanings. It can have multiple fulfillments. And so for Isaiah 40, it certainly had a meaning for the original audience, Jerusalem. That's who Isaiah was preaching to. So it had meaning and application for them. But it also, as many of you might know, it had meaning and application to John the Baptist in the New Testament. This very scripture was applied to him. All four gospels, they say that John the Baptist was the voice crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord, which was the Lord's first coming. So it has meaning there. And its full and ultimate application is to the Lord's second coming. That one day all flesh across the entire earth, all the nations will see 
the glory of Jesus. So it has these multiple layers. But today, I want to look at a fourth application. The fourth application would be that there are times in history when God prepares his people. He prepares the people of the earth so that he can reveal his glory in a unique way over a region. And we have a word for that. We call that revival. Revival is a tiny foretaste here in time and history of the glory that's going to cover the earth when Jesus returns. It's a little down payment, if you will. And I want to be clear about what revival is, because that word has been used a lot today. And I'm not sure it's always been used correctly. I'm not talking about just religious excitement, okay? People just kind of being a little more excited about church or about the Word of God. It's more than that. I'm not talking about just big services. It's more than that. I'm not talking about just a few signs and wonders breaking out here and there. It's more than that. And I'm not talking about it just happening for one church or one small group of people. No, biblical revival, when it comes, when God comes, it affects whole regions, whole regions. It's the glory of God showing up in such a way that everyone knows he's here. Everyone knows it. I want to share with you this definition. I've read a lot on revival, revival history, and this is probably one of the best definitions I could give you today of what revival is. It says, revival is a season of unusual divine visitation resulting in deep repentance, supernatural renewal, and sweeping reformation in the church, along with the radical conversion of sinners in the world, often producing moral, social, and even economic change in the local or national communities. So think bigger. Think regional. God showing up. It's kind of like when um, we had the fires in Canada earlier this year. Okay? Lots of fires. It was a terrible, tragic thing going on in Canada. And yet, I woke up here in Peoria, and there was smoke from those fires just everywhere. And everybody saw it. Everybody could smell it. Everybody could see it. It was just in the air. Everyone knew about the fires. And that's kind of like what happens when revival actually hits. Everyone knows God is on the scene. Everyone knows. They can see it. They can feel it. And there's no mistaking it. It's not something that humans can kind of whip up and hype up. It is a divine act. And it touches entire communities. Now, to the best of my knowledge, Peoria, Peoria, Illinois, has not seen revival. Talking about, again, regional revival. God's showed up in unique and special ways. Certainly, he's done so much that we have to be grateful for here in Peoria. But to the best of my knowledge, to the best that I could look for, I don't think that this region, this area, has ever seen revival in its full and true sense. And yet, as I read this scripture and as I prepared for today, I just feel urgency on my heart 
from this passage, that this scripture is for us, for our church and for our city right now, that the Holy Spirit is the voice crying out to you and I and to our church and to our city to prepare the way of the Lord in our lives, in our families. I believe it is God's desire to release revival to Peoria. I mean, why would he not want to do that, right? I believe it's in the heart of God, but that he still says to us, we have a part to play. You and I, we have a part to play in preparing for the glory he wants to send. So we cannot make revival happen, but we can choose to prepare. We can choose to partner with the Lord right now. And in that sense, prepare the way of the Lord. So real quickly, I want to speak to you about two key preparations we can make to prepare the way of the Lord. Two key preparations we can make. And this isn't like a, you know, comprehensive or exhaustive list, but it is two things that I believe are very important for us right now and in the days to come will become increasingly important. So the first preparation we can make is we confront prayerlessness. We confront prayerlessness. Now, you might say, Nathan, don't you have to say that because you lead the prayer team at Northwoods? <laughs> and no, I don't. No, actually, Isaiah 56, 7, Jesus quoted Isaiah in the Gospels when he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That the people of God, we were actually meant to be people of prayer. It's part of our eternal identity is to be a people of prayer. And of course, we all know that the New Testament is filled with countless commands to be devoted to prayer, to pray without ceasing, right? And what does this mean? What does this mean for us? Well, I want to say this as tenderly as I can. Okay, I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to be condemning. I'm trying to speak the truth right now. Prayerlessness, for you and I to be prayerless, the people of God, it is sin. Prayerlessness is sin. Again, because it's a clear command in Scripture that God has called us into a life of prayer to be a people of prayer, for us to disobey or to ignore or cast off that command, it's sin. And so I, I say that today, even though it might sound like, ooh, that's kind of direct. I say that because I want us to wake up to the urgency of developing our prayer lives, the importance of actually pressing into God in prayer, that right now, if you don't have a prayer life, that the Holy Spirit is inviting you to begin to learn how to pray. Come away, get away from all the distractions, all the stress and busyness of life. Come away and learn, learn to pray and encounter God in that place. So I wanna ask you, do you actually pray? Do you actually pray? If you look at your own life right now, it's, it's kind of similar to uh, the idea of health. Okay. Health. Everybody likes the idea of being healthy, being strong, living way into your old age. But few people actually put in the work. 
Few people actually, you know, get rid of the junk food, put in the exercise. We like the idea, but we don't put in the work. And it's the same across the church with prayer. We often just give lip service to it. We talk about it. We agree with it. Yeah, prayer's good. Yeah, I would pray before our meal. All, all that's great. But few actually put in the day-to-day work to develop a life of prayer that's consistent and that's deep. So prayerlessness is sin. And then the second important thing here on, on confronting our prayerlessness, prayerlessness is powerlessness. And I want to show you this real quick in the book of Acts. Acts 1.14, it says that all of these, it was all the, the disciples after Jesus ascended, with one accord, they were devoting themselves to prayer. They were devoting themselves to prayer, okay? So we get this picture in Acts 1. They're having this prayer meeting together. And then that is when Acts 2 happens. Acts 2 is when it says, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit, this mighty move of God, it came out of, and it was birthed out of, a prayer meeting. Power came out of them devoting themselves to prayer. And the same thing happens again in Acts 4. Almost like God's trying to say something to us, right? It says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Look, when it comes to revival, I I don't know of a revival anywhere in history that came apart from prayer. Apart from deep, agonizing prayer of people crying out to God, getting serious with God and getting their prayer life in order. So I want to encourage you, fan into flame your prayer life. And as you do that, as you confront prayerlessness, ask God to release revival in your heart and in your family and in our church and in our city. Ask him for that as you lean in to prayer. And you can even say, if you don't feel like praying, because many of us often feel that way, myself included, you say, God, I want to want to pray. I want to actually have the desire to deepen my prayer life. You can, you can say that to him. You can ask him for that. We got to confront our prayerlessness. And I say real quick, this is also why we're going into a season of prayer and fasting in January as a church. It's why we have corporate prayer meetings throughout the year. It's why we're praying and worshiping in the prayer room every week because we're saying, Lord, we want to value prayer as you would have us value it. We don't want to be a prayerless church, a prayerless people. So that's one preparation we can make. The other one that's very important is for us to pursue holiness, to pursue holiness. And I want to just read a couple scriptures here. In 1 Peter 1, he says to the church, he says, as he who called you is holy, speaking of God, you also Be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So he quotes the Old Testament and says, this is still for us today. We're called to be holy. We're called to be imitators of God. 
Ephesians 1.4, okay, listen to this. Paul says that the Lord chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, normally that's where we stop. We just say, oh, isn't it great? God chose me. He's chosen us. It's an amazing truth. But he didn't put the period there. Why did he choose us? He says that we should be holy and blameless before him. Chosen to be holy and blameless. And then in Hebrews 12, the commands given, strive for peace with everyone and for what? What are we, what else are we supposed to strive for? For the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. All these scriptures, and there's many more that we could look at. They're saying the Lord really cares about us living a holy and blameless life. And you might say to me, well, okay, but what does that mean? I agree with you, Nathan, but what does it mean to be holy? Well, if I could break it down and just say in its simplest, you know, form, holiness is to become like Christ. It's to be fully like Jesus. It's to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It is that you and I actually become someone else entirely, that we become like him. It's a transformation of our body, soul, and spirit, heart, mind, and will to become like Jesus. Not just an outward list of I do X, Y, and Z, and I don't do X, Y, and Z. It's transformation of the inward self. So I want you to think, if if you think right now of like two kids, right? Neither of them lie. They both have chosen not to lie. But one, one might lie when it's advantageous for him. He might just kind of sneak it in there when it's okay, when he can get away with it. But he knows, I probably shouldn't do that. But in his heart, he's like, if I can get away with it, if it can help me, I'll do it. Contrast that with the other kid who he loves the truth and he hates falsehood. And he's disgusted by the idea of ever telling a lie, let alone a lie that could bring in personal gain. That is the difference I'm talking about. They're both doing, you know, the right thing on the outside. They're both not lying at points, but one has his heart transformed and the other doesn't. That's the essence of holiness. It's transformation from the inside out, really becoming like Christ, where we love what he loves and we hate what he hates, that we think what he thinks. We become like him in every respect, complete transformation. Now, I wanna give you just a little bit of practicality here, okay? Talking about complete transformation and often where God starts when he begins to transform us, make us like himself, it looks like moral reform in our lives. So I want to just read this scripture real quick from Galatians 5. It's going to be a little bit longer one, okay? Galatians 5, 16, Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, 
enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And he said, I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he, he's not talking about Christians who may stumble in one of those areas, but then get back up again to pursue righteousness. He's talking about the people that go on consistently living like this. And he lays out this huge long list. He says, these things do not produce a holy life. These things don't come from the Spirit of God. So if you looked at your life right now and just compared it to that list, where is the Holy Spirit calling you to conform to the image of Jesus? What's he putting his finger on even right now? Maybe even as I read that. That's a place where he wants to make you like him, conform you to his image. So that that's moral reform. But also pursuing holiness, sometimes it looks like extinguishing little compromises. Okay, I want to read this real quick out of Hebrews 12. He says, Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. We lay aside the sin and we lay aside every weight. Every weight. Everything that weighs us down in our life with God. And church, there are some things, yes, that are clear, outright, blatant sin. And there are other things that are simply weights. They're not God's best and highest for us. They're little compromises, little cracks in the armor, so to speak. And so, is there something even today that you might go, this is not outright, blatant, gross sin, but it weighs on my conscience. I wonder about it. And I, I feel the Lord calling me into something higher and better. That could be a weight in your life. It could be a weight. For instance, one example, uh, media is a great example, okay? Many times the Lord has had to speak to me about stuff that I've watched, be it in a movie or a TV show, where I can't sit back and say that it's sin for every single believer to watch, you know, this certain TV show or movie, but in my own heart and in my own conscience, I feel the Lord calling me up and away and out of that. So what is that for you? Are there places in your life where you, you feel the Lord putting his hand on you and saying, this isn't for you? Pay attention to that because it's a way to pursue holiness. All right? These are two key preparations that we must make to prepare the way of the Lord. And again, all of it is in the context of we want to see his glory. We want to see revival come to our church, to our families, to our city. So I want to end and just leave you with this story about the Welsh revival. I actually had to write a paper on it in college. Um, so I'm revisiting my paper, looking back at a few books I had. There was clearly spiritual preparation going on before revival broke out in Wales. Let me just read some of this. This is a quote. It says that many people were marked 
by an unusual concern for spiritual renewal, provoking many meetings for prayer and for study of the work of the Holy Spirit. These things were starting to stir in people. Uh, he notes that in a time where the preaching was powerless and the holiness of the people of God was all but gone, many people agreed that a divine visitation was the only remedy. It's the only thing that can fix what's going on. Many people felt that revival was the great need, and until it was met, all efforts to supply every other need were in vain. God was preparing people's hearts. And then one more uh, preparation. Many were stirred to prayer. Another quote says, for a long time past, the Welsh Christians had been moved to pray and to pray specially for the quickening of religious life in their midst. God was preparing his people and they were responding. And do you know, God answered, God showed up, I'll just read some of this to you. Within five weeks, a five-week span of time, 20,000 people joined the church that were previously not part of the church. There were conversions every single night, people coming to Christ, repenting of their sin. It says strong men, were in tears of penitence. Strong men were breaking down, weeping at the recognition of where they'd sinned and compromised in their lives. There's much public confession and brokenness over sin. Many broke out weeping. Some broke out in laughter, just overcome by the presence of God with joy or with sorrow. Some were so overcome that they couldn't even bear to stand, that their physical bodies failed them. There was a spontaneous worship. This is somewhat unique to the Walsh revival that the people led the worship. There was nobody on the platform leading worship. The people for hours on end would break out into singing and it would just flow. And it flow from out of worship into preaching back into worship. And again, one, one more quote here it says, men everywhere are talking of God. God has given Wales in these days a new conviction and consciousness of himself. Northwoods, I believe God wants to do the same and more in Peoria. That he wants to give Peoria a consciousness of himself like it's never had before that he's calling you and I to prepare the way of the Lord, to confront our prayerlessness, to pursue holiness, and to begin to cry out to him for a move of God like our city and our church has never seen. Will you be part of the people that respond? Will you be part of the group of people that said, God, I'm fed up with just church as normal. I'm fed up with just going to church, going through the motions. I want you. I want you. If that is your cry, I encourage you. 
just make it, begin to get it into your prayer life to ask God for revival over our church, over our city. Confront prayerlessness once and for all and make it, make it a daily thing to pursue holiness, to let him shape you into the image and the character of Christ. And I believe that as we prepare and as we cry out to God in his mercy to touch our city, that we may see his glory come, that all the flesh in Peoria, all people, men, women, children, might see Jesus. That's what we want, church. And I believe that's what God wants. So would you pray with me? Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus for a move of the Holy Spirit in our church and over our city. God, we want you. We want more of you. We need more of you, God. And so, Lord, we're asking together today what you did in times past, what you did in history for other cities and other people. God, that you do it for us. We don't deserve it, but we desire it. And we know it's in your heart to give. So, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, come to us in power. Show up to our church. Show up to our city in a way that everyone knows Jesus is here. We ask you for that. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, church family, uh, again, thank you for being with us today. And do not forget, okay, this next week, it's our first Sunday, January 7th, back in person. Our senior pastor, John, he's going to bring the word and he's going to kick off our 21-day corporate fast. So please come back and join us. God bless each one of you.